The good news is that you don't need to sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one massive chunk. All you need to do is read it one bit at a time. G'day everyone, my name is Mark Schroeder and welcome to Schroeder's Bible Bits. I'm a college chaplain and my job is to teach children and youth the wonderful truths that are found in God's Word, the Bible. I speak at chapels, at youth services, at church services, I teach at kids clubs and lunchtime Bible groups. Uh, At all of these places, I always teach from the Bible because I'm convinced that from the Bible, we get to learn about God and how He has loved us and how He has saved us through Jesus. Tune in and continue to learn about Jesus for yourself, not in one chunk, but bit by bit. G'day everyone, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, this next one is the uh, next chapel talk that I've given at my school. Uh, it's on 1 Samuel chapter 11 through to chapter 14, but I just focus in on uh, chapters 13 and 14. Um, just a little bit of a side, uh, keep in mind that this is during the coronavirus outbreak and everyone's in lockdown, so I'm actually giving this chapel talk from my backyard at night time while I sit around my fire pit that's in my backyard, uh, my dog's next to me, the stars are out, um, and it's just an opportunity just to do chapel in a bit of a different way. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. G'day everyone, welcome to chapel today and welcome to my backyard. Uh, this is my fire pit, this is my dog, and it's a lovely autumn evening tonight. I wonder if you've done a bit of this lately, you've sat around your backyard, around maybe a fire pit as well. I think I've seen lots of photos of this at the moment on social media, and that's because our holidays uh, didn't go as expected, did they? Um, For us, we expected to go away on a camping trip. We were going to go camping up the north coast, but of course, with the coronavirus hitting the world, uh, we weren't allowed to do that. Um, I wonder what you did for your holiday. But I also wonder, how have you been challenged by things not going as expected? Maybe for you, you're in year seven and things haven't gone as expected for you in your very first year of high school. Maybe for you, you're in year 12 and year 12 has got all these moments and markers of your final year of high school, but again, it just hasn't gone as expected. Or maybe for you, you're in a different grade and you were just expecting to do certain subjects or you were looking forward to doing really well in particular assignments or particular areas of learning, but again, You just haven't been able to do those things. Things haven't worked out as expected. If you remember, in chapel, we've been looking at a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is a story about the search for a king. Uh, The search for a king for God's people called Israel. Remember, they asked God for a king. Even though God was their king, they still asked for a king. They wanted a king like all of the other nations. And so God said, yes, God let them have a king, although he did warn them. He said, if you get a king, be careful. This king could very well lead you astray. Well, God's people, they get a king and his name is King Saul. But the question is, is he going to be the king that they expected? Is he the sort of king that they thought that they were going to get? Is he the king that was going to rise to the challenge of leading God's people called Israel? Well, today we're going to have a think about that. 
we're going to look at some of the, the, the ruling moments of King Saul. And, and the, one of the first things that we see about King Saul, and probably the main thing about King Saul actually, is King Saul is a mighty warrior. He's a king who led God's people out in great battles against Israel's enemies. Pretty much straight away after he is made king, King Saul goes up against this other king from a foreign land called King Nehesh. And King Nehesh, he was a bad guy. He actually wanted to capture all of the men of Israel and he wanted to remove their right eye. Um, and all the people in Israel were petrified about this and they were freaking out. What are we going to do? And King Saul just comes along and in his kingly presence is like, just settle down, guys. It's okay. We've got this. And so he leads out a great army and the army defeats King Nehesh, the eye gouger. After he does that, there's this great nation called the Philistines. And the Philistines were this powerhouse of a nation. They had great big armies, chariots and war horses, huge amounts of warriors. And Israel and the Philistines, they didn't play nicely together. Um, they weren't friends. Uh, they were enemies. And so Saul, he actually comes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Philistines. And as you would expect, yes, he beats them. He beats them good and proper. But time goes on and the army comes up against the Israelites again. The Philistines rise up against Israel again. But this time uh, in 1 Samuel, we actually discover that Israel don't have any weapons. They don't have swords. And so what are they going to do? And so they go get some farm tools, their shovels and their pickaxes and their, their forks for turning over soil and digging veggie gardens. And they sharpen the ends of them. And Saul then leads them out into battle against the Philistines with gardening tools. And incredibly, they win. The problem is, though, there's another battle that comes up. Another great big battle with King Saul again against the Philistines. And there's such a great battle. But something goes wrong. Saul makes a decision which actually ends up being his demise. And Saul actually ends up showing us and showing God's people that he is not the king that they expected. He is not the king that they expected would come and lead them because King Saul doesn't do the one thing that he should have done. King Saul doesn't lead God's people to depend on God. We're going to read some of that story now. We're going to read it in 1 Samuel chapter 13. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 with him from Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outposts and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth Aven. When the Israelites saw that the situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, 
They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan in the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. It's interesting here, right, that God's people, Saul, come up against the Philistines. And as they come up against the Philistines, they defeat them pretty well. But because they do that, the Philistines absolutely hate the Israelites. They become obnoxious to them. Do you remember that? It says they became obnoxious. In other translations of the Bible, what we actually discover is that it, they were like a bad stench to them. The Philistines thought that the Israelites stunk. That's how much they hated them. Well, because they hated them so much, they got such a mega army together that it left Israel and Saul's leadership quaking in their boots. They were petrified. They were terrified at the amount of troops that, was, um, that had formed in front of Israel. You see there that they assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I get it right. I think I'd be petrified too if I saw such a great army coming up to fight against me. Well, the story continues. And let's see how Saul reacts now to this moment. What is he going to do? Remember, he is the king over God's people. But remember, there is another king in charge. How does Saul respond to what's going on? Let's read on. Verse 8. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went to Gibeah in Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. You see, what happens here is that Saul takes matters into his own hands. In one moment, he's petrified before a great and mighty Philistine army. And then, rather than wait for the prophet, rather than wait for the one who essentially represents God to God's people, Saul steps up and he takes matters into his own hands. And this is an offence. In the words of Samuel, this is a very foolish thing. He should have just depended on God a little bit longer and waited for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifices, as was his job. Now, as a result of that, the Bible tells us that Samuel tells Saul that the kingdom is now going to be taken away. And the kingdom would not be established through Saul, but instead through somebody else, someone 
after God's own heart. That means someone whom God was going to choose rather than people. Now, what's interesting is that at the end of that section in verse 15, we see Samuel leaves and he goes one way and Saul leaves and he goes another way. And when Saul leaves, he takes some people with him and all he gets is 600 people. That's all. You see, Saul's end has come. His time as king is coming to an ugly end. In fact, if we go over a little bit to the end of chapter 14, we see that Saul's rule as king was actually a bitter one. At the end of chapter 14, it says in verse 52, All the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. You see, that last verse from chapter 14 tells us that Saul was committed to growing his army. Rather than being committed to lead God's people, to depend on God, Saul was committed to growing his army. And so therefore, he was not the right king. Sure, he was the king that the people wanted, but he was not the king that they needed. And so because of that, Saul's reign as king comes to an end. Saul is not going to be the king who would establish God's kingdom forever. That's going to be somebody else. Well, thankfully for us, our king is nothing like King Saul. Our king is a king who would actually humble himself who would lay down his life for us, to do what is right for us, so that we would depend on God. In fact, let's look now and see how Jesus approaches a terrible job that he had to do, one that brought him great anguish. Will he depend on God or will he do his own thing? Let's look now at Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 41. So Jesus has gone into the garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. This is the night before he's about to be captured and then led off to be crucified. And it says in verse 41, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Wow, did you see that? Here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to be captured and led away to be crucified. And yet, he is willing to submit to the rule of God, to depend on God and his rule, to depend on God and his will. This is a good king. Jesus is a king who is worth following, for this is the king who is willing to lay down his life for you, for me, and for the world. What a king. And so in light of this, we need to consider which king do we follow? And not only that, but where is our dependence? What is it that we depend on? You see, the reality is there are many things that we depend on in this life. But the thing is, time and time again, we just come to see that things don't go as expected, do they? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to depend on the one true king, the king of all the universe, 
the king of the world, the king who has laid down his life for you, for me, for the world. And his name is King Jesus. There's a cool little verse in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Listen to what it says. It's some words from Samuel to the people of Israel. He says this, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. These words that Samuel said to Israel were valuable for them to hear. For they were able to have a king of their own choosing. But the warning was simple. Be careful that this king does not lead you astray. Be careful that this king doesn't take away your dependence on the God of the universe. And so it is for us. We need to remember that in this world, as we are faced with all kinds of things that sometimes we tend to put our dependence on, sometimes we tend to put too much in the expectation of those things, we need to make sure that they do not take our focus away from the one person that we ought to depend in the most, and that is God. And so instead, we need to consider what he has done for us, as this verse in chapter 12, verse 24 says. Something to help you with that is from John 3.16, our college verse. That's why we've set that college verse for this year, because we want you to remember what God has done for you. Remember? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Jesus is the king that we need because Jesus is the one who was sent by our dependable God who loves us and who longs to save us. Broughton, I know that this year has not gone as expected but the thing is when we look to Jesus and we see him, our triumphant king on the cross, we know that we can depend on God to care for us, to look after us, and to bring us into a far better place than even this. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at MRKSchroeder, or on the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that, and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.